Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to Podside, or as Carlo and I like to call it, Groundhog's Day, because we've been doing a lot of episodes recently. Uh, So uh, once again, I am here with Carlo, and we do have a special treat for you. Uh, On with us today, we have Karen Osborne, who is the author of Architects of Memory that we'll be talking about, which is the first book in the... Hold on. Yeah, it's it's the memory war, which is like the perfect thing to have a memory moment with. So it's 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 <laughs> welcome, Karen. Yes. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And and yes, that is that is perfect. And that's actually that that that's actually a plot point there. Yeah, yeah I, I actually I, I triggered the device and and lost my phone number and uh, the the name of your series. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, you 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 might not know what else you lost, so you better be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Um, last Tuesday, last Tuesday. So, um, uh, silly question to start out with because I never bothered to ask either one of you. Uh, what's your connection? How did you meet? We uh, we met at the uh, Baltimore Science Fiction Society. They have a critique circle there. And when I moved to Baltimore a couple of years ago, I, I, I was looking for a place to go where the nerds were, where the writing nerds were, because um, I've moved around. I've, I've lived in upstate New York. I've lived in a number of places in upstate New York, and I lived in Orlando, Florida. And the one constant to any move is you find the nerds, you find the writers, and you find good, good, good people. So I met Carlo up at uh, the Critique Circle, and for a number of years... Um, we just had some really, really, really great critique sessions, talked about short stories and novels, and and then COVID happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I moved here. Uh, I, I moved to Topeka in the middle of COVID. And so as a result, I know people from work almost entirely on a screen. And nobody else except for the people who deliver my groceries. It is driving me nuts. But I, I think that's the world we're in for now, I guess. It's literally a a, a dystopian novel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this could have been written as science fiction before it happened. I mean, it, I, it wouldn't have been great. I wouldn't have enjoyed reading it. But it, it's certainly, it's certainly a, a dramatic change. Have you read Sarah Pinsker's uh, A Song for a New Day? No, I have not. It's about uh, <laughs> uh, Sarah is a wonderful author. She is uh, also a Baltimorean, uh, and she's a musician. And she wrote a book about what happens to basically live music and um, 
and uh, concerts and uh, shows after a pandemic ravages the country. Oh, wow. And cancels all the live music. And this came out, I think, in November. So it was way before anyone knew this was going to happen. Um, Anyway, it's a fabulous book. It's available right now. Um, So if you're feeling up to it, um, I highly, highly recommend it. I will check it out. Thank you. And it's incredibly generous of you to promote other people's work out here. That's pretty cool. I, I love the book. I I, I, I just, um, I actually try to <laughs> promote it whenever possible because it's, it's just a really great book. It won the Nebula this year. Um, and also it uh, gives me, sometimes I, I read it before and it was great. And then I read it after uh, and it gave me the absolute creeps. Oh God. Because <laughs> it's so... <laughs> Uh, she predicted a lot of stuff. That's yeah. Okay, I've got to check that out then. Yeah. I like I like being creeped and like it's 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 not going to be jump scare for me because the worst has happened. You know, <laughs> it's like we're here. Um, well, yeah, it's it's interesting about. Um, she has a lot about uh, how things are delivered and how people live um, and how you go forward in a in a world where, um, in a world where you're. Uh, <laughs> You, you you only talk to the to the drones that come deliver your food. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Uh, anyway, on that note, on that on that happy note. See you later, everyone. <laughs> so, um, I have a couple of questions, but I I think they're for deeper into the episode. Do you want to kick things off, Carla? Um, sure. Uh, so. And and just to be clear, um, yeah, Sarah also came. <laughs> there, there's a lot of names that are showing up here that uh, have been at the Baltimore Science Fiction Society. It's sort of uh, sort of interesting to see how many people have actually moved on to other things. Karen being one of them, Sarah being another, uh, and and myself. Um, no books yet. No books yet. Uh, but um, so. Karen, let me ask you this, because I believe when you showed up at the Critique Circle, you already were working on the on, on something related to this book. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I started off um at I I started off at NanoRimo uh 20, 2015. Yeah. Um the book started in November of 2015. I had just come out of a pretty uh crazy year where I had a bunch of jobs that didn't really um didn't really suit me and then I was stuck in the gig world where I was, you know, competing for jobs on Guru and Fiverr and, you know, uh working a lot for for pennies on the dollar and I just had burned out on writing. Um, I, I just, it was just not something I love to do. So when Nano rolled around, I was like, okay, what's the most Karen, uh, interesting, fun thing I could think about writing at this point? Um, and I decided to start writing it. I, I, I dragged out a crew that I had had, um, that I, I I had thought up the crew way back in college, and I'm not going to tell you when that was. It's not that far <laughs> long ago, but um, <laughs> it's long ago I'll, enough. I got gotcha. you. Um, all, all authors, all authors need their mysteries. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 been a while. Um, 
So I, I dragged them back out again because I always wanted to find them a story. Um, and I just basically started writing and uh, everything else came from other parts, other parts in my life. But yeah, I, I had been working on it from, from 2015. Okay. So, and let me ask you this. Did you, did you make your NaNoWriMo goals that year? I never make my NaNoWriMo goals. Yes. I I don't 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 feel too yeah, like I'm I'm not necessarily uh feeling great that you didn't. I'm just saying <laughs> we're we're in this together because I have never ever it, I've tried it twice and it, it doesn't really work. I just freeze up. Uh, <laughs> oh, I like my NaNoWriMo goals are generally just to have fun. Um, also meet people. Some of the best people in the world I've met through Nano. Um, I've been doing it for uh, since oh my god, uh t- 2007. Um, I've been doing it for a while. And um, Nano is, for me, it's to start projects. It's to have some fun. It's to remember why you get into the whole thing. And and if you get a lot of word count, that's good. I generally get up to uh, uh, 20 or 30,000 words, and then I have to take a couple days off. But, you know, not everybody, not everybody writes like uh, on the nano schedule. Um, it's not healthy for everyone to do, to do that. And so if that's something that's like, if, if it's something that doesn't work for you, it's, that's fine. Just, uh, find your own goal with nano and, and, and keep on doing what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I've come to the conclusion after a while. And, and my, my, my personal goals have changed. I don't know about you, but, uh, I used to really, uh, sort of uh, try to buckle down and do like the thousand words a day thing. It, it, no, (laughs) I can't do that anymore. It used to work. It used to work. And then I had a baby. (laughs) Well, I, I, yeah, (laughs) well, you do have that. I, I just had, I don't know what I had, but it wasn't working for me anymore. So, um, so then this is sort of like a, a, something that's a bit of a labor of love for five years. Uh, when did you know that you had something that was, that wasn't exactly a trunk novel? Uh, do, do we want to get into, I, I don't know if our, our listeners know what a trunk novel is exactly. Do, do we want to talk about that a little bit? Oh yeah, we can totally talk about trunk novels. I, I, I too have, have the greatest American novel uh, in, in my mom's hope chest in an attic somewhere. So I, I think I have an idea of what it means. Oh, you're, you're not far off. Yeah, you're no. not far off the mark there, Pete. <laughs> okay. No, the trunk novel is the novel you write to understand how you write the next novel. <laughs> this is this is a very positive, out, optimistic outlook on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I try to be an optimistic person. People like to look at me funny and be like, stop being so happy. Um, I... Oh, go, I have a question about that, actually. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> in in Architects of Memory, there's something, it, it's, it's very much a glass half-empty thing where each character from where they are standing is the hero. And there's two ways to interpret that. One is that everybody's an asshole. Oh no! <laughs> and, and and the other is that you know we're 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 the sum of our experiences, and we're all trying to do the best we can. And when we when we put that all together, it can be messy. And I'm just sort of wondering, like, could could you talk about how how you 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 applied 
uh, your your feelings about people to the novel. I, there's got to be a better way to say that, but I think you know what I mean. No, no, I do know what you mean. It's uh, it's very much the second. It's very much the second. One of the most. Um, I I used to be a journalist. I used to. Um, interview people and write articles. Uh, and I worked for a small uh, weekly newspaper in upstate New York called The Evangelist, um, which was a Catholic newspaper. And um, basically, um, I met uh, because like, I didn't start off with usually with you when you start off in in journalism, you start with like, a beat like crime, you go to a lot of meetings. Um, I got to meet all sorts of people because I was like one of two reporters. And um, and so we went out and talked to literally everybody. So by the time I was like twenty five, I had maybe I I I was having these um amazing daily conversations with with people of all 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 backgrounds and from everywhere. I mean, upstate New York, but um, who did all sorts of things, um. And I, like, I, I like being an optimistic person, but I'm also really kind of cynical at the same time. It's a really kind of weird sort of thing um, because, um, okay, this is going to get a little dark for a minute. Um, <laughs> it's a dark pod sometimes. That's great. <laughs> um, I, I worked at the Evangelist through the uh, first Catholic sexual abuse crisis. Um, so I had a front row seat to, um, seeing that, um, not only was everybody trying to do their best, sometimes, and quite a lot of times they didn't live up to, they didn't live up to their own vision of themselves or they didn't live up to what they should have been doing. They, they may or may not have known it or, or they may not have known it or they may have done it um, knowing that they should have been better um, at, at, at certain things. Um, but, but it was a lesson. I think it was a lesson to me that uh, people are complicated um, and everybody makes the best decision they can for themselves at the particular time they are making that decision. There's always no one, no one sets out to be evil. No one sets out to hurt other people. They always have a, um, they always have a reason and it always has to do with their own beliefs about the world and how it should work. Um, and I think when I kind of realized that that was kind of like, a, um, it was one of those moments, um, because you look around at, you know, everything going on today and and you realize that, you know, people who 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 do things, they do it because they they think they're they think they're making the best decision. Well, I've, um, I've, oh, so it gets complicated. It gets complicated <laughs> <laughs> with, well, with with people. I, I don't know. Did that answer your question? <laughs> It answered it very well. I mean, one of the things I've always thought is, I mean, there's like a lot of people who, who these days regard hypocrisy as the the alpha sin through which all other sins, and they wouldn't put it in those terms, but, but you know what I'm talking about. But for a lot of people, hypocrisy is what happens when you try your best and screw up. It, it can be. <laughs> it can I mean, be. I, 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 also, I also view it as 
not everyone has uh, sort of a, a, a consistent worldview at all times. Sure. And, you know, I sometimes – Shit. It, I, <laughs> I, I am a totally different person from who I was like 10 – even 10 years ago. So if you want to call me a hypocrite, I'd say, sure, maybe. But I changed my mind about certain things and now I, fe- I feel this way about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And people people do change and they shift and sometimes they don't change and – um. And uh, I, I generally think people are a lot more complicated than we, than we, you know, think. You know, we ourselves are a lot more complicated. And um, like, I know I've been, you know, I know everybody's been a hypocrite at one point. Everyone has uh, hurt other people. Everyone has had saintly moments too. Um, so, uh, and and yes, we all think we're at the center of. <laughs> We all think we're the protagonist, um, and because in many cases we are, we are the protagonist in our own lives, um, and sometimes the antagonist too. Yeah. <laughs> could could yeah. I ask another one? Because I've 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 got another one like this. Maybe maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't. We can always edit it out. Okay. Uh, I um. I, I'm not a writer. I'm a super fan. So one of the things that I do as I read that I know you're not supposed to do is look look at things and think, is this lived experience? And I very much got the impression because of what was going on with the protagonist and the people closest to her that um, you had you had dealt with sort of the medical industrial complex at one point and and really had to face how useless it can be. I got lucky. I got very lucky in in that I had insurance from the newspaper at the time. Um, but it would have gone a very different way if, say, I had been a freelancer. Um, like many journalists are today, they are uh, finding a staff job is is uh, even harder than it was back in uh, back in two thousand when I started. Um, and now it's, uh, I mean, now it's uh, a lot of writers are freelancers. They are their own bosses, um, you know. And thank God the ACA exists, or else. You know, you'd you'd be in major trouble. But back when the ACA didn't exist, um, I broke my foot in five places and um, got a blood clot in my um, in the back of my uh, leg, and it was sort of a traumatic thing because um, a blood clots are traumatic because they can break off at any time, go to your brain, go to your heart, kill you, um, go to your lungs. it's not a great way to die. Um, and number two, because nobody believed me. I had to go to like, I had to go to like four, I, I think on my fourth, my my fourth doctor was the orthopedist I saw. Um, and he saw me, like I called and I was like, I was in tears. I was, it was, it hurt so bad. It was like, until I had a baby, it was like the worst pain of my life. And um and like he saw he was like, well, why don't you come in? Um, I'll fit you in. And he saw me right then and he paused and he looked at me and he said, I'm going to go call Albany Med. Um, I want you to drive there right now. And they met me with a wheelchair and took me straight to a thing. It was this big, huge thing. But um, but um, coming out of it, uh, seeing the bills because you have to, you have to, um, when you're coming out of a, a, 
it's it's different now. I think they have different medicines now. But in 2006, um, you had to inject yourself with a low molecular weight heparin. Um, and uh, you had to do that twice a day. And it was like $1,000 a shot. And you did that for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Um, and I remember just looking at the bills going, oh, my God, like, my life would be over. Like in one way or another, um, either I would be, um, I, I would just, I mean, I was a journalist. I didn't make a whole lot of money, you know, baby journalists never do. And um, either that or I would have died because uh, I wouldn't have gone to the ER, you know, and I, and, and I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second here because the, the, I mean, this is my soapbox. Um, we're recording this on the day that I, uh, the Supreme Court heard more um, oral arguments um, against uh, against the Affordable Care Act in the middle of a pandemic, and and it just it just kills me that you know so many Americans are going to wake up today and go, yeah, I- I'm not going to go to the ER. I don't have the money. And they're going to make that bargain with themselves and their families and hope for the best. And, and I, I don't think any American should have to, should have to make that gamble with their lives, you know, especially in, in a time when we're, um, you know, when we're supposed to be, you know, leaders of this, of this country and of this world. So yeah, you can say I have a personal connection. Um, It's, it was interesting to put that in the book because I had up until this point never really made something that personal before. Um, I had never like really, you know, delved in and taken out what was uh, really quite traumatic and um, just, just put it on the page like that. <laughs> um, and so writing it was an interesting experience. Um I actually highly recommend it. It was uh, free therapy. Yeah, the the writing, not the not the foot injury. <laughs> no, no, the foot injury was. I, I, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't have written the book without it. So, you know. So, so I guess the the follow up to that would be: in this case, uh, was Ash supposed to be the version of like the version of you that wouldn't have had the insurance, so to speak? Yeah. Um, she, she was the version, um, of the person who, I mean, and, and like, I tend to, when, I mean, when I write things, I tend to, um, spin them out a little more. Um, I, I'm very much, um, I'm very much a person that goes, okay, this is cool, but how can I make it, you know, worse? Or how can I make it more dramatic? Or how can I really, really highlight what's going on? Um, so, um, you know, Ash. Ash is in a situation, and she's she's literally gambling with her life. Can she make enough money to pay off her debt before, you know, before uh, she before she croaks? Right. <laughs> and um, and one of the things I think science fiction does well is uh you know, is, is, is provide a place for you to have to, for, for, for you to look at those experiences, um, in, in sort of a way that's not quote unquote real. You can take that experience and you can put it 
elsewhere and sort of look at it and go, okay, because um, once you divorce it from all of the politics and the stuff that goes on today, you can kind of look at it and go, oh, that's how I really feel about it. Um, and and kind of discover more of a more of a place to go, um, and I know I know for different readers it's going to affect different readers um, differently. In some ways, it was incredibly cheeky of me to ask that question at all, and I just want to say I appreciate you like being this open and this thoughtful about it. I mean, that was wonderful. Oh well, you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, thank you, thank you for asking it. I, I um, I, I uh, it's. Uh, you're making me think of things now. Hmm. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you then, so did you always view this, or, or let me perhaps say this, do you think that this would be the same story if you had used another uh, genre? Like instead of, is this a, a specifically science fictional story, or could you have told this story in sort of like a fantasy sort of milieu? Could it have been consumption? So, um, I, I I suppose I could have uh, done it in a fantasy world, but um, I there there are aliens in this book. Uh, we haven't talked about the aliens yet, but they they are in this book, and I think I needed them to be um, truly alien. What I wanted was for for my characters to come across. Um, uh, a species that was uh, completely and utterly alien to their way of thinking and what they understood. Um, I that that's the thing. I mean, I love I love stories that can pull that off. I mean, um, Cherry does it well. C.J. Cherry, a whole bunch of other authors, and um, it was originally a dare to go. Can I pull it off too? Am I <laughs> can can I go that far? Um, but I don't think. I don't think I would have been comfortable um, doing that, like in a fantasy world, because um, you know, I mean, it's aliens are not elves. Elves are not aliens. Um, so I, I don't think I would. I don't think it would have fit in sort of a fantasy milieu. Um, and likewise, it couldn't have been consumption because historically. Um, you know, and I, and I can't say anything more on that because I get into spoilers. Mm. Oh, good point. Good point. Fair I enough. I can't, I can't, I, I'm sorry. I just can't do it. <laughs> so who's, who's your favorite, uh, space opera writer? Oh gosh. Oh, there are so many. Um, I, I adore CJ Cherry, of course. Um, Down Below Station was, uh, a, a, uh, a, a, book I read really, really early in my in my uh, experience. Um, one of my uh, current favorite writers of space opera is Arkady Martin. Oh, sure. Um, oh, yeah. And um, also also a Baltimorean, no longer, but um, once lived in Baltimore. Um, the memory called Empire series and uh, is is just it's, it's just brilliant. Um, it, it's political science fiction with a big sort of, um, a big sort of, uh, uh, canvas, and a couple others, and 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 they're all working now. They're all working now. Um, uh, Marina Lostetter, uh, sh uh, Marina just finished a series called Numenon, 
uh, which is also one of those uh, huge idea uh, canvas of the entire galaxy type of series. Um, clones and um, just a bunch of really, really cool stuff. Um, and I... And I'm highly, really, really, really uh, enjoying um, Megan O'Keefe's uh, Velocity Weapon series. Um, I also love uh, KB Wager's uh, Hail Bristol books. They are just plain fun. Um, and also fun, um, Valerie Valdez uh, has a series out Um it begins with chilling effect. And if you like mass effect, you're going to like chilling effect. <laughs> so have you ever read uh, Walter John Williams, Dread Empire's Fall? Oh, so long ago. Yeah, I've, I've, those, those Praxis novels, I really like those because it feels like space opera sort of in the Napoleonic era where, where one side is sort of lining up and wearing red uniforms and the other side is slowly realizing you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, oh it's been it's been a while. Um I I remember reading um I, a lot of what what was the other one I read that was uh there was a uh, series. I'm. I'm gonna. Of, it was uh, Elizabeth Moon. It was one of Elizabeth oh, okay. Moon series. Uh, I'm gonna nope. It's like tip of my tongue. Sassanac. It was. It was a book about um, a woman that keeps on getting uh, stuck in cold sleep, and her, her 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 family and her life sort of spirals away from her, and it was uh, horrifying for a 13 year old to read. Um, completely hooked me um <laughs> yeah cold sleep scares me to death i mean you couldn't get me into one of those things at gunpoint <laughs> I, I i mean if yeah <laughs> i actually transporters are worse but cold sleep is pretty bad well i i i as much as i love star trek um i i have to subscribe to the scientific thought that transporters are um death machines yeah well and you know if 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 they did do the thing where where they figured out how to make a copy of you on the front end, and but they didn't have to disintegrate you, wouldn't they disintegrate you anyway? Because otherwise, you haven't gone anywhere. Exactly. Pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and um, and, and you're never gonna know that you're 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 never gonna know if you die because the person because you're dead and the right. person that comes out on the other side says okay i'm doing great yeah i <laughs> it's, mean it's one of the things i love star trek so much but there has to be a way to turn that technology into an incredible weapon of war <laughs> i i i there, there, there has to be a book that's done it. Um, now I'm gonna go. I'm, 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 when, when we get off, I'm gonna go look because I have to know. Um, I, I don't think Star Trek would ever, ever do it. Oh, oh, you know who did it? You know who did that? Kirk you know did who it. He did had that? <laughs> Cameron Hurley did that in in the in the Light Brigade. Uh, it was nominated for a Hugo this year, and it's brilliant. Um, and um, yeah, so Cameron Hurley did the uh, transporter as weapon of war. So if you're interested in that, um, I am. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I, you're giving me a list here, and I really appreciate it. I love reading. I, me, me too. I'm. Uh, 
It's it's one of the reasons I'm I'm I I got into this podcast is because I no author would talk to me unless I paid them to sign a book without doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll talk to. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like I love talking to people, so it's 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 perfectly good. So so oh go well, ahead, Carla. I was just going to say that uh, so. In this case, uh, Karen, the that, that was I guess that leads into my uh, the question that I have, which is so you're this, I mean, from the conversations that we've had face to face way back when before you know all this stuff happened, um, you're like a super super Star Trek fan. You've already said that here today, but so I guess my question is, given that Star Trek uh, has this like very shiny utopian vision of what the future is what's i guess my my question would be how do you square that idea and how you love star trek so much and that vision of the future with how you approached uh writing you know architects of memory and and the engines of oblivion and all that oh that's a really good question um, I think it's a, I think it's a difference between what I consume and what I think about. Like I love to think that everything's going to be fine. Um, I, 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 I want to think that we're all going to. Um, I don't know if you're watching Discovery right now, but it's 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 giving me life. The third <laughs> season of Discovery is all about you know coworkers that listen to each other and and solve problems through talking and forgiveness, and it's just it's just everything I've ever wanted. Um, but I I personally don't get a lot out of writing that. Um, I I get a lot out of uh, trying to figure out how people tick. And well, I so when I'm like sort of when I'm sort of like resting, I kind of want to look at Star Trek and dream about a better future. But it's kind of sort of like a like a you know hope for the best, but work for the worst. Mm. Um, and uh, so that's how I. That's how I've been approaching a lot of my work uh, recently. Um, I I love being optimistic. I love having um, great, uh, you know. I love um, you know reading optimistic stuff and and being in Star Trek and going, yeah, that's that that's what I want and that's what I want. But I also um, know that's not really how the world works all the time and to get to there and and like, like like the thing i say a lot to people um is that you don't get star trek you don't get picard and kirk and and janeway janeway is my favorite um um you don't get any of those without world war three and the eugenics wars mm-hmm I, I'm like, not going to shout con, but I'm thinking it. Con, okay. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, like, you you didn't get that future without, like, and I'm, I'm saying that, and, it, and, and it's kind of coming out like, oh, God, Karen's saying that you have to suffer to, be, to become a better person. The that's not what I am saying. The tree of liberty is watered with <laughs> <No>. blood. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's not what I'm saying at all. It's just that... Um, 
you know, I think a lot of people discount how you get to, um, how you get to the other side of the river. Um, the other side of the river is there and it's, um, and it's, and it's wonderful and it's green and it's, and it's beautiful, but, um, it, it kind of might be a choppy ride, um, mm-hmm. to get there. And I'm really interested in, in that choppy ride. Do you, well, let me do a follow-up on that because, um, if I'm remembering correctly, I haven't been following Discovery uh, or or Picard, uh, mainly because I'm not a, a big Star Trek fan. And I may ask you for a list of, you know, a, a watching list, if you will, uh, oh, sure. later. But uh, my question here is, do you think that because uh, the Discovery and Picard are sort of delving into – some of the backstory of that and sort of how they got to this shiny future uh, that there has been a bit of a backlash against the, the programs. Um, I, I'm really feeling it. I, I, it, it's, it's refreshing to me. I, I know, um, I know there's a backlash in certain sections because we all want to think that, you know, um, everything is going to be wonderful and shiny, but, um, uh, getting it to be wonderful and shiny takes work. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, you know, it takes shoe leather on the street. You know, it takes, you know, you know, an election isn't just, um, you know, showing up at the ballot box and, you know, putting your ballot in. Um, there are ballot workers and poll workers and volunteers and people, you know, who who go from door to door and people who write postcards and people who, you know, make phone calls and, you know, and a lot of it is volunteer and a lot of it is, you know, just from the heart on both sides. And um, it to get to the future you want, it's going to take work. And I think um, one of the best things about Discovery and Picard right now, and I love it, is that it's actually showing the work. You know, in in some of the other in some of the other stories, I mean, the Enterprise is a great ship. It's fabulous, but like like you know, it's the it's the it, it, it's the flagship. It has all the best people. It has all the all the you know resources. And Picard shows you that um, resources are still very much a very much a thing in the Federation. Some people have them. Some people don't. Um, which um, you know is is always going to be a thing, even if we even if we learn how to make it more equitable for everyone. Um, but it's. I, I mean, I I think it's wonderful and refreshing that we're seeing people having to do the work because that's what we need to see. I think as 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 readers and watchers and writers and people living through this moment in time is you know we need to see how you do the work to get to the other side of the river. Um, we need to see that it's possible. We need to see. Um, we need. We we need models to do it right. Um, and you can't. You can't really see that if you don't um, see it happen. So um, I think acknowledging that uh, people will be people, even in this bright shiny future, you're always going to have a Paul Stamets. Like, <laughs> um, I, I I think that's wonderful. Um, on my own. So and we're not using transporters to get across the river, right? 
Oh, I really hope not, because you're never going to get across the river at that point. Oh, you're going to die. <laughs> well, th there'll be a version of you on the other side, from what I'm gathering. Um, Pete, did you want to ask something else? Um, I think most of what I, I want to ask about is is like where people can find your stuff and buy it, but we should probably save that for the very end. Yes. Okay. So, um, what I guess my uh, next question would be more about uh, what your wh what does your writing day look like these days? Oh gosh, um, I work best in the morning before I've done anything. Uh, it, that used to be before I had a toddler. Uh, mm. That used to be I would get up, you know, around five. Um, now I, although that isn't true. That isn't true either. Um, <laughs> that's a fun question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I work when I, I can, how I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that means I get up at three in the morning and I, uh, sit on the back porch and I type all sorts of random stuff into my alpha smart. Um, sometimes it means I go through like a whole day of momming and, um, you know, cooking and, uh, and doing freelance work and then it's 8 PM and okay, it's time to write the novel. I do try to write uh, every single day because that's uh, that's how I work. Um, I do take time off because that's also how I work. Um, one thing that's changed since, uh, since my daughter entered the world is that I changed from a pantser into a plotter. Uh, I, I used to love uh, finding out what happened as, as I wrote. I used to just um, sit down and see what happened. Um, I, I don't have as much time as I used to anymore. Um, I have to, I have to chase a tiny little, uh, mini me around. Um, so well, and, <laughs> I, and, yeah. And, and it's, and to, and to wit, I'm going to guess that, um, whatever thread you had, uh, mentally, you will probably get frazzled and frayed once you are chasing said toddler around. Oh yeah. Um, I, I wrote engines of oblivion. Uh, I was only halfway done with it when when my when my child was born. Um, so I had to write the other half and do all the editing uh, while she was a newborn. And I don't recommend this, but I do want uh, to let people know because uh, a lot of people ask me, like, is it possible to have a kid right at the same time? And I'm like, yes, it, it's very possible. You're going to be very tired. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I would. Um, I would take care of her when I was on maternity leave. I would take care of her and she would drop off to sleep and I would put her in a little, um, in, in a nice little napper and then I would pick up my alpha smart and, and go. Um, but I had to start plotting. I had to know uh, exactly where I was going to start. I had to know what I was going to do. I, I could not, um, I could no longer wait and, you know, kind of explore. So, um, a lot of the times when I begin, I open up, I have a spreadsheet that uh, kind of shows me where I'm going to go. Um, and I kind of keep track uh, of changes through there because sometimes things change. Um, but I can open up that spreadsheet and know, okay, I'm working on the scene where, you know, she goes to save uh, to, to save her sister from, you know, the bog monsters. 
Um, and I know I'm doing that at that point. And then I, when I'm, uh, when I stop, I always say, okay, the next thing I want to do here is, and I put that in the spreadsheet. So the next time I open it up, I know where I was, I know where I want to be. Um, and that has kind of saved my bacon at, at numerous times. Um, because, uh, it, it's, I, um, <laughs> cause, um, yeah, it's you, 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 you have a lot on your brain when you're a mom and you're working and it's COVID and, um, various, various different things. So, um, I, I just want to let everyone know out there that it's possible. I do it every day and, uh, and plotting, um, I never thought I'd say this, but I love plotting. <laughs> um, so, uh, and so has the alpha smart really worked for you? It works for drafting. Um, for those of you who might not know what an alpha smart is, um, on the thing, it's a, it's a, uh, it's like, it was like late nineties, early two thousands device before, uh, Chromebooks existed, uh, where kids could, uh, learn typing. Um, and they literally, all they do is take in typing. Uh, it is a basic word processor. It turns on, it takes double A batteries, um, because it was built for elementary school children, it's absolutely indestructible. Um, my toddler has thrown it against walls, um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, it. You, yeah, it's. <laughs> so I, I know see, it's I, indestructible. <laughs> I, I see you've had some quality assurance uh, yep. done on it. <laughs> Sounds um, great. They don't make them anymore, um, so you have to like kind of track them down on eBay. But uh, I. It, it, it's 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 literally the best thing I've ever, it's the best thing I've done for myself as a writer is is spend twenty dollars on a on an eBay Alpha Smart um, because and, it's well, oh it's it doesn't fabulous. connect to the internet right so you can't uh, you can't be like surfing the net or doom scrolling or whatever right no it it's literally um it's literally four lines four to six lines depending on the model you have and that's all you're looking at four to six lines of text. Um, it turns on, dumps you right back where you were, turns off. Um, you can fit it in a bag. Um, there is no scrolling. There is no Twitter. There is no Facebook. Um, I mean, you could always, you know, bring your phone with you, but I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's the end of my questions. Did you have anything else, Pete? Any other follow-ups or anything like that? Well, I mean, I think the the one thing I really want to do is is give Karen a chance to to push our listeners into reading her stuff. So, Karen, if this episode is somebody's first exposure to you, where should they go to read your books? Uh, my books are available at. Um and I waited 25 years to say this. My books are available wherever books are sold. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh, it, it feels so good. Fo um, folks, folks, oh, your dreams can come real. Yeah, it takes a long time and a lot of work, but eventually, eventually. Uh, yeah, I mean, I when I walked into that Barnes and Noble, I've only seen it once because of COVID. Like I've only seen my books on, on a shelf in Barnes and Noble. I'm, I'm high risk. So I don't go places. Um, 
but it was a it was a moment to see it like on the shelf. Anyway, um, <laughs> you can go to Barnes and Noble. You can go, um, but I I prefer local indie bookstores um, because they are wonderful. Our local indie bookstores here, like Atomic and Greedy Reads, and of course my favorite, the Ivy. Um, you want them to survive COVID. You want them to continue bringing really good programming to your town. Um, so order it from your indie. Um, you can order it from bookshop.org or IndieBound. Um, you can order it from Powell's. Um, pretty much um, anywhere anywhere you want to. I mean, if you have to, you can go with Amazon. But, you know, if you have to. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so the first book is Architects of Memory, and it is currently out. You can get it um, anywhere. The sequel, and there it's a duology right now. Uh, there are two books in it. There were only two books planned at this point. Um, I have others in my head, but we'll have to see what happens. Um, that will come out on February 9th. And that's a direct sequel to uh, the things that occurred in Architects of Memory. So, and the the uh, the sequel is already out for pre order. Yes, it's out for pre order. You can get uh, you can get both at once. Um, and uh, I've, a, a friend of mine told me after what I pulled at the end that um, they are very angry to have to wait. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I think that uh, if anyone uh, picks up Architects of Memory, just don't forget to pre-order the next one because apparently it ends on the on the cliffhanger. Um, it's not a cliffhanger, but um, well, I, I oh, spoilers. I no, no, um, no, I'm River Song right now. Spoilers. There are still questions. Spoilers. There are there are still questions. <laughs> so one of the things I learned from this episode is I get most of my vocabulary through reading, like a lot of people, and. I've been mispronouncing duology for like 30 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, I, can, can we squeeze in uh, my own? I only read this word and never heard it said. Yes. Let's hear it. Okay. This is, this is also adjacent to playing Dungeons and Dragons. The first time I played with people in the U S I decided to cast that first level spell shillelagh except that it's the way it's spelled i'd never heard it said so uh in the presence of my friend who was irish american from new york i say i cast shillelagh oh no (laughs) (laughs) he died he like almost (laughs) he almost pissed himself laughing and then berated me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no <laughs> so you know uh it's it's the curse of the reader well, well it's I, also like puerto rico doesn't have a huge uh english like uh irish american contingent so <laughs> I, I gave myself a pass on that one i i have a confession too uh-oh i still don't entirely am not entirely sure how to pronounce the name of uh, science fiction's favorite uh, faster-than-light communications device. Oh, the Ansible. The Ansible. I always thought it was Ansible. Yeah. I always thought it was Ansible, but like for but but for the first like fifteen years of my reading experience, I would rock around going Ansible. 
I love it. Why not? <laughs> play. I, um, well, so until today, I'm just like, is it Ansible or is it Ansible? I don't, I, I well, don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I meant like that where it was uh, somebody I knew at the time was calling. You know the 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 uh, program that you can uh, sort of convert books into PDFs and all that stuff that's free online. Yes. Um, they were calling it Calibre. And this was not like somebody that spoke Spanish. Free California, I like, baby. I was like, what? <laughs> Isn't it caliber? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you do have the 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 standard uh, word font now, Calibri. Mm. Well, eh, maybe. So the important takeaway from the, the last <laughs> three minutes is buy Karen's book, okay? <laughs> Pronounce everything how you want, but buy the book. <laughs> yes, please buy my book. Um, my 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 toddler needs shoes. The art architects of memora, <laughs> right? <laughs> Memory, yes, <laughs> definitely. Memento mori. Memory. <laughs> any any and any enjans of oblivion. That was bad. Just, oh, it's a very French. Enchance. I, I well, think you know, it's like going to Target. You know, <laughs> you go to Target. Yes. It's it's one hundred percent Target at all times. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. So, Engines of Oblivion out on February 9th, twenty twenty one. If you got the scratch for it, you can pre order it now. Yes, right. uh, pre-orders are pre-orders are good for writers. Uh, they they show uh, the publishers that there is interest um, in in the writer's new works. So pre-ordering it is like ordering it twice. Mm. Yes, indeed. That that also, if I'm not mistaken, helps you uh, sort of have publishers not get nervous about your next book. Yes, indeed. All right. So if Folks, pick up Architects of Memora. Um, <laughs> please pre-order the Engines of Ovlignon so that you can read the next fabulous oh, novels. Thank or are you. they novels? I think I'm, I'm not sure. They're novels. <laughs> uh, you know, English, I love English. English is such a great language. It's, yep. Not a lot of rules. Uh, yeah, but anyway, yes. Yeah. Eh, underrated or overrated. I'm not even <laughs> sure. Anyway, Grammar. Uh, <laughs> that I did want to thank you for coming on and talking to us, Karen. Yes. Uh, oh, thanks. It was a blast. Well, sure was. All right, folks. Uh, if that's all we got, see ya. Take care, everybody. 